0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Those are those are out in the in the front, but I want to answer a question that many people have asked me this morning before we get started. And that that uh, that answer is no; these are not sweatpants. Okay, so um, many people have asked me, and now everybody's looking at my pants. But uh, Stan asked me a couple times if if I needed the elastic out of the bottom of my pants to be cut out. My wife assures me this is the way they're supposed to be. So um, (laughs) just so you guys know that, clear the air. Um, We're in Exodus 24, and we're going to continue looking at this narrative. Right, of God rescuing his people, of God setting apart his people, right? And and just what that looks like and how how he goes about that. And the question that I continued to have as I went through this passage, this week as I've just been just been been resting in this and meditating on it and studying it out is is how can how can a broken sinful people have relationship and fellowship with a holy perfect God? That's the question, right? That's the question I want us all to wrestle with because, uh, and, and I think the reason that that resonated with me so much is because that's the question that I continued to struggle with the, when, when I first gave my heart to the Lord, when I first submitted my heart to, to Jesus back um, back when I graduated high school. I grew up in a Christian home my my dad was on every every council and every board you could be on we grew up going to this this little country church right outside of Brashear, Missouri by Kirksville. um and and we were in church like all the time literally my i remember going to to council meetings and i remember as a as a kid going to week long revival services from sunday to sunday and and i'd make my little bed under the hard wooden pew with all the stuck on gum and and i just i just go to sleep down there while the adults did their thing and and i was as I as I grew up about junior high, i realized that, that I didn't want to do that anymore. I, I knew the Bible was true, like I had no problem accepting that. But I did not want to submit my life to what the Bible said. That was that was my issue. I wanted to do my thing. I wanted to be popular and I, I believed I saw at that moment that popularity and Christianity they, they just couldn't couldn't coexist, at least in my mind. And so, so I, I ran from that, and I began to rebel, and, and I was like the worst person in, in youth group because I still came to youth group, and I knew all the answers. Like, I, I knew all the, the Bible answers. I knew all the Bible stories. I, you, you couldn't tell me anything that I didn't think I had already heard, and, and yet that, that path led me to just self-hatred and, and destructive tendencies and all these different things, and I knew, I knew at that moment that if I were to die... Without a doubt, I would go to hell separated forever from God. I was just so depressed, and yet I still did not want to submit to God. I remember in 1998, I graduated from high school. I I was signed up to go to Central Methodist over in Fayette. That's where my sister had gone. And I I'd signed up for college, I was totally adrift. Signed up for college because everybody asked me, oh, you're graduating high school, where are you going to college? It's like, oh, I guess I should go to college. I, I don't, you know. And so, so I signed up to go to college and, and um, I, I remember going to this church camp. It was kind of the last time I was gonna to go to this camp. I'd, I'd went to this camp uh, for a week long, every summer since forever. Um, so I went back to this church camp. It was my last time to hang out with my friends. And I even going into this church camp, I was like, God's not going to get me this year. Because I had done the whole religious roller coaster thing too. Like I had, I had gone to camp and I had heard people preach and I had gone down to the front at the altar, right? And I'd pour my heart out and confess my sin and get, get up, go home. Two weeks later, I'm worse off than I was before. And I'd done that before. And so I took alcohol and I took a bunch of stuff to church camp right? Uh, Because God was not going to do it again. Like (laughs) you, right? He wasn't going to do it again. And yet Monday night I walked into this chapel and God was there. There was no preaching going on. There was no worship happening. Everybody was getting ready for the night and God just showed up. And it was it was almost like he, I'm a very visual person. It was almost like it felt like he grabbed me by the front of my shirt and said, you're going to follow me now. And I was just like, yes. Oh, praise God. And yet throughout that week, the thing that I kept struggling with and the question I kept asking is, why, God? Why would you accept me? Why would you allow me to have relationship with you? Because you know what I've done, right? You know my past. You know know the things that I've done. Not only did I deny Christ with my body and with my actions, but I denied him with my words because people would say, why are you doing what you're doing? Aren't you a Christian? I said, no, 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 no. I am not a Christian. I do not I, I don't put me in that camp. And, and that whole week I kept struggling with and kept wrestling with that question. How could that happen? And see, I, I believe that that's what we see in this passage is the answer to that question. How could a broken, sinful people have relationship with a holy God? So so as we go there, I want to I just start with prayer this morning because I want to answer this question. So God, um, as we go into your word, I pray that you would help us to wrestle with that. I pray that you would help us to feel the weight of that, God. And, and God, I pray that you would help us to come to a place where we know you better walking out from this place than when we did walking in. God, that we would love you more and we would obey you more completely. God, speak to us and, and use, my, use my words as flawed as they are, and it's in your name. Amen. Let's start chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord. Now, he, real quick, he is God. All right, Moses is up up on top of the mountain, as Todd taught last week. He's God is laying out the case law for what it looks like to be people set apart. So, so Moses is still up on top of the mountain. God is speaking to him, and he says this. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. All right, let's stop there. Now, who are these people that we see um, God calling out and saying, all right, bring these people. He's saying, Moses, go back down the mountain and you're going to bring these people back up with you. First, we see, we see a couple different people. We see Aaron who Aaron was Moses brother, right? Not only was he Moses brother, but he was, he was a priest. He was like the first priest and he was he was uh, tasked to do all these duties that that a priest should do before God and not only was was Aaron a priest but he was the father of priests okay and and Nadab and Abihu they were his sons and they were also priests and so you have these guys who are basically the paid professional israelites right i mean these were the guys that get paid to worship these are the guys like the the pastors and and the priests or the preachers of that day these were the guys that i mean they were the professionals. But then you also have these 70 other guys who were the representatives of the, all of the Israelite people. And these were most likely guys from, if you remember from chapter 18, where Moses uh, sets apart a, a group of people to help him minister to the, to the two million plus Israelites that, that were under his care. These were most likely some of those guys. So they were like the elders. They were the people that, that like, when they would go to family reunions, people would ask them to pray because surely they have a direct access to God. Right? As, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but, but as a preacher, I go to family reunions or different things. I, like, I, I remember one time I was at a, I was at a uh, wedding rehearsal, And it was outside and the, the weather was supposed to be not so good for the, the next day. And so they, the family asked me if I would pray for the weather to be, to be nice because I had a direct access to God that I could control the weather. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't want you to pin that on me, right? If it rains on your wedding day. But these are guys that it's like, if anybody has direct access to God, it's them, right? And yet we still see that there is a, there is a, there is a gap. God says, don't, don't come up to me any closer. Come up, but not there's still separation. If anybody would have access because of their own righteousness and because of how good they were, they were, it would be these guys. And yet there's still a gap. Who's, who's the one person that's that God says, yeah, you come up to me? Who's that one person? Do you see? It's Moses, right? It says, Moses, you come up to me. Now, before we start thinking that Moses was some, some special example or some, some perfect person, we know what was in Moses' past, right? I mean, Moses had to flee from Egypt because he killed a guy. Out, out of, I don't know. I don't know if it was out of passion or out of anger or what, but, but he saw this Egyptian beating a fellow Israelite, and he went up and struck him down and killed him and then buried him in the sand. That's, that's Moses' past. I mean, have you ever been taught? I remember talking to one guy. And, and talking about sin and the weight of sin and all these different things. And he said, well, I'm not perfect, but I've never killed a guy. Right? Have you ever heard that? Like I, I can imagine, overactive imagination, I can imagine if Moses was in that conversation, this guy's like, I've never killed a guy. I Moses was like, yeah, I'll, I'll be out, right? Because Moses couldn't say that. The only reason that Moses is accepted by God is because God allowed him to be, because God called him up. We have to understand, first and foremost, that our acceptance with God, right, our interaction with God, our being seen as accepted in God's sight, is not and and will never be based on our own goodness, because our own goodness will never be good enough to stand before a holy, perfect God. Let's read on. Verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, stop there. This is a covenant ceremony that we're seeing, that we're reading about. This is, this is a ceremony, kind of like a wedding ceremony, okay? And so there's, there's different steps and there's different things that, that Moses is going through as a mediator between God and the Israelites, and, and a covenant This, this covenant, it's, it means a sacred relationship where, where these people, after this, after this ceremony, these people will belong to God and God will belong to these people. Okay. And so the first thing we see here is the, the, the past three chapters that we've gone through, right? That is God setting up what this covenant is going to be. It's God laying out and saying, this is what it means to be a people set apart. It's, it's God giving them a cultural identity that moves away from slavery, which is what their cultural identity has been, because for 400 years they've been slaves to Egypt. Just think about what that would do to a people, to their mentality, to their understanding of the way life works and who they are and their place in the world. But he gives them this identity moving away from slavery to people set apart by God for special purposes, and he's given them this, this, these commandments and these laws, and he's saying, this is what it means to be my people, and, and I, I love where it says, Moses told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and right away, the people say, yes, we will do it, whatever, whatever, we, we will do. It's like, for real? <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know if you've went back and read some of those things. Like Todd didn't go through all of them last week. But there are so many things. I mean, you just look at the 10. And the fact is, they didn't even ask any questions. Isn't that crazy? You just look at the 10 commandments. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm done, right? I feel like some, there are days where I can't drive down the street without breaking a commandment or two, where it's like, I mean, do not covet. Like there are so many times where I drive by a brand new Indian motorcycle, I'm like, uh, God, forgive me, right? Like, I want that. I'm coveting that. And and yet the people, right away, they're like, yes, we will do it. Yes, we are in. This would be music to any parent's ears, right? If you have kids, like, that, this heart to lean in, this heart prone to just saying, yes, God, whatever. Like, how often parents... Right. If you tell your kids to do something, is it met with questions or is it met with like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get to that, right? I, I remember one time I was up in Sumner uh, where we were pastoring and we had some friends over to the house and their their kids were like, they were, they were little at the time, like five and six, and, and, and their kids were jumping on our furniture and uh, and they were big five and six year olds, okay? Like, like, big kids. And and they were jumping on the backs of the furniture, right? And, and I, I kept watching this happen. And we were playing a game right near, the, like the adults were playing a game. And the kids were jumping on my furniture. And and my friend turned around and I was like, hey, you need to stop that. Stop jumping on the furniture. I'm like, okay, good. All right, yes, thank you. And and, and the kid just looked at him and just kept jumping on the furniture. I was like, oh, oh, oh it's all." Right? Let's see what happens here. And he's like, stop jumping on the furniture. One, two. He turned back around and started playing the game. And the kid kept jumping on the furniture. I was like, I, do, you, uh, do you need me to spank your child? Like, is that, is, is that what you're saying here? That, I think so often that's the state of our heart, isn't it? Instead of people who would say, God, I, I want to be your, your child. I want to submit to your law. We, we say, yeah, well, what about this situation? I, I, know, I know the Bible says this, but you don't know my situation. I know the Bible says this about sexual purity, but, but you don't know my situation. I know the Bible says this about forgiveness, but you don't know my situation. We try and create these situations where, where we would be the, the person who it's like, where God's like, oh, I Oh, I didn't know. So, of course, everybody else needs to obey, but you, you're fine. That's what we try and do, right? Or we try we try and say, well, I'll obey as long as, right? As long as it doesn't affect my relationships, or as long as it doesn't affect my bank account, or as long as it doesn't affect my schedule, or as long as it doesn't affect my comfort, right? I'll be in. And yet, what we need to understand is that obedience... According to, to our standards, right? Obedience according to what we believe is disobedience. Or another way to think about it, like Todd laid out one week, obedient, delayed obedience is disobedience. See, and yet what we see here is, is these people, they don't, they're not saying, okay, we will obey according to our terms. They're saying, God will obey according to yours. And oh, that we would be a people who would have that type of heart. That we would say, yes, God, I don't, I don't know all of what this will imply, but God, I desire you more than fill in the blank. That's what we see in the Israelites. And, and are they hopelessly optimistic or just really ignorant? possibly, right? Because we, we read on where, where they do a terrible job of this. But, but guys, I believe we can learn from their hearts to lean in and say, God, I want to say yes to you. Right? Let's, let's read on. Verse 4 And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent the young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Now, again, remember, this is a ceremony that we are reading about right and and so moses it says that he he gets up early right first of all he writes down all the words and all the rules of god and and then he gets up early in the morning and he builds these altars according to the law of god which we read in exodus chapter 20 it says when when you sacrifice to me when you worship before me, when you come before me you do it like this and so moses is following the law of god the rules of god and what they're what they're going to do is he's now going to seal this covenant with blood, because that's that's what you did in the Old Testament. You sealed the covenants with blood, and uh, in Hebrews 9.22 it says, and I think I have it up on the screen, indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. The the idea here is, is that this is going to be sealed now. And blood in the Old Testament, in, in these covenants, it represents a couple different things. The first thing it represents is, this, is the life and death nature of the covenant that's being entered into. You see this really clearly in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God is, is kind of reaffirming his covenant that he has with Abraham. Alright, Abraham was the guy that at the time is in Genesis 12, Abram was called out of his land and God's like, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make my name, make your name great so that you'll make my name great. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. And in Genesis 15, he is kind of ratifying this covenant. He's, he's, he's putting, (laughs) like making it more secure, I guess. And, and he, he tells, he tells Abraham, he says, get these different animals and what you're going to do with them is you're going to cut them down the middle. Like every time I read that, I was like, "Ugh, I'm good, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not like stand. I like guns, but I don't like to shoot things because then the fun's over. Because then you have to do stuff with it. And it's like uh, I can just imagine as he takes these animals and he splits them down the middle. Like it's not like it's like right. And he and he takes it and he lays them and he creates this this aisle." Right? And the idea here is that as you make a covenant with people and as you split these animals, you walk down the center aisle and the implication is, is let be done to me what has been done done to these animals if I break this covenant with this person that I'm walking down this aisle with. It's, it's the same symbolism uh, of a man and a wife as they're walking down the aisle, um, in a church. On their wedding day. We don't know we don't understand that. I think things would look a lot different if if on our wedding day we had oxen cut in half in the church. Like that I don't know if Stony Creek would allow us to do that. That we get away with baptism, but that might be too far, right? And yet what what's happening is is he's saying, look there's blood involved in this. We understand the weight of this. I think, I, I was thinking about this. We're in the middle of buying a house um, and we're going through this, just this process of financing and all that good stuff. And, and I think, um, it, I can just imagine if you went to the Landmark Bank or whatever and they're like, okay, uh, closing date is gonna be April 15th and uh, bring four oxen with you. That's in the, in the closing agreement. And then we'll split them apart and we'll walk down. And if you default on your loan, we will then take you, and we will split you in half. It's like, whoa, what? Like those e-sign documents that you don't read? You know, it's like, sure, sure. You know, it's like, I think, I think fewer people would be homeowners if that's what you had to do, right? But there is this understanding here, right? There's this understanding that this holds weight to it. That them saying yes to God, it's like, okay, this, this is not a light thing to say, to say yes to God. It holds weight divine retribution if you break this and yet the other thing that the blood represents not only divine judgment but also divine grace because if I were an Israelite I think that would be a very scary thing for for me to hear all these laws to hear all these things and say yes I will do it and sometimes I get passionate and I get excited and I say yes to things before I know what I'm saying yes to and and in this instance I think you know it's like I think if I were somebody being like, hey, maybe you should ask some questions, right? Maybe you should think about this a little bit. The fact that the blood also represents divine grace is such good news to the Israelites. Now, the the sacrifices that they're making, they're these peace um, and fellowship offerings, and what that represents in Leviticus, I have it up on the screen, Leviticus chapter 3, verse 2, we see a little bit of how, how these sacrifices were to, to go about. It says, he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering, and in this case, it's oxen, and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood around the altar around and on the altar see what what is happening here is the people what they would do is they they understood that for me to live something has to take my place and something has to die and so they would place their hand on the sacrifice, and, and as they placed their hand on the sacrifice, symbolizing my sin that, that needs to be paid for by blood is now going to be paid for by this sacrifice, and they would slaughter the animal, and they would catch its blood, and what they would do is they would take that in before the altar of God, and they would put it on the altar, and what that symbolized is God's acceptance of his people. I was reading through a commentary this past week that said a bloody altar always represents the forgiveness of sins. Because it is God saying, I receive you. It is God saying, nah, I, yes, the punishment for your sins is paid for by this sacrifice, by this blood. See, that it represents grace because it's God reaching out to his people. This whole covenant was God's idea. I don't know if you, I don't know if you catch that, but, but even in the fact that, that it's, it's said it's the laws of God, it's the words of God, God is setting the terms for his people. Throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, when it talks about Exodus, it talks about God bringing his people out. It's God's idea. And this is God redeeming his people, saying, Yes, I want you to have relationship with me, and it is through this blood. It reminds me, I, I used this illustration before, but it's so, it's so impacting me. I want to use it again. It, it reminds me of like, um, I'll use uh, Aaron or Aaron, Austin and Lauren as an example. Uh, I'm not going to make them come up here, but um, Austin and Lauren, if you, everybody, most people know Austin and Lauren, right? They've been married for a while now. How, how many years have you guys been married? Two. All right, two years. It's kind of dark in the back. Two years they've been married, and, and we all know Austin Lauren, and we love Austin Lauren, and, and they're just an awesome couple. There's Lauren, I see her there. She could have answered too. Um, but can, imagine, okay? This is going to take a dark turn. Imagine, just to let you know. Imagine if Austin were to cheat on Lauren. Right? And even when I say that, it's just like, ugh. Oh. Well, feel the weight of that wrongness. And even if you don't know Austin and Lauren, it's like, ah. There's a wrongness to that. There's a brokenness to that relationship. That's what sin is. Sin is a brokenness of our relationship with God. And we are the offenders. And the only way that if, if Austin wanted to restore a relationship with Lauren, what would he have to do? Would he, what if he bought her flowers, would that do it, right, what if they were really expensive flowers, like around Valentine's Day, when they're super high priced, right, and he's like, no, she's worth it, I'm going to buy her flowers, what if, what if he named a song, like dedicated a song to her, or what if he named a star after her, you know, whatever, like, would that restore relationship? Some of you have never been cheated on. I've been cheated on. No, it would not restore a relationship, right? The only way for that relationship to be restored is if Lauren, the one who has been cheated against, the one who has been offended against in this situation, the only way that relationship would be restored is if Lauren goes to Austin and she forgives him, right? And she allows him to come back into relationship with her. And that's what we see, the picture of the blood and the, the divine grace that God has for us. In this picture that the blood was put on the altar before it was put on the people it's God pursuing his people it's God bringing them out it's not not their not their goodness but the goodness of God through the through the sacrifice through the blood of the covenant that we can have relationship with him Do you see that? Do you feel that? Verse 4 no, excuse me, we're, we're past there. And in, in, uh, as you go on from there, verse 7 says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Again, the, the covenant that the Lord has made with you, the Lord is restoring relationship with his people. It says that that Moses, he, he took the book that he wrote all this these words down, and he declared it to the people. And And you wonder why the repetition. Now, remember, this is a ceremony. Right? And, and in the same way, in a marriage ceremony, I've, I've done quite a few marriages. I've been in ministry for a while and, and you do a, you do a wedding ceremony and there's, there's a declaration of intent where the officiant would say, do you, do you Austin, I'll keep using Austin Lauren, do you Austin receive Lauren to be your lawfully wedded wife, to, to love her and to cherish her as long as you both shall live? If so, answer, I will. You know, and then, and then Lauren, the same. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're saying, okay, let's be clear about what you're entering into. Let's be clear about this. This is weighty. This is important. And then you have the the vows, right, where the couple then turns to each other. And then they say to each other what they will do for and with each other, right? And see, that's what we see in this ceremony here, entering into this covenant. The people, the first time it's for understanding saying, let's be clear about what you're entering into. And the second time it's saying, yes, yes, we want to be God's people. And then I love the fact that it's written down because there are so many times where we need to be reminded of what it means to be God's people, don't we? See, this is for future generations. This is for, for people who come along after this and, and when they say, well, what does it mean to be, to be a child of God? And you can say, well, this is what it means. Let's, let's read it together. That no matter what our culture does around us, we know that the standard for being a child of God is written down by God. See, and it, and, it, and it holds us there, and it, it brings security to this relationship that we have with him because it's about him, right? It's about us and him, and he's saying, we are in this together. And then it, I, I love the fact that it says Moses throws the blood on the people. It's like, wow, I didn't see that coming, right? Like I, you, you think about this. Logistically, two million people plus. This, is, this would have been a mess. I mean, all this stuff going on, and 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 you see, like he—I don't know how he did it. Like I, in my mind, just this huge bucket, you know? It's like just, and and imagine the react. My my mind immediately, as as Moses is saying, "Behold, the blood of the covenant," and he throws it on the people. My mind Im- immediately goes back to Exodus twelve where we read about the Passover, where God is telling his people and he's saying, look, this is going to happen. I'm going to to come and I'm going to kill all the firstborn in Egypt. I want you to take a lamb and I want you to place your hand on that lamb and I want you to slaughter it. And then you put the blood over your doorpost because that blood will be a sign that you have received forgiveness that you have, have, been, have been passed over by the wrath of God. And now that blood that was placed on their doorposts is now placed on them, on their skin and on their clothes. And imagine that. They're, they're in the middle of the wilderness. I mean, can you, I, I don't know about you, but my wife, I, for the longest time, I don't know if she has it anymore, but for the longest time, whenever our kids would get something on their clothes, she's like, oh, I have a shout pen, you know? And it's like, just clean that off. They didn't have that. Moses is going around throwing blood on them, and, and if they were me, I'd be like, oh, now what, right? What am I going to do? I don't have a shower. Like, I've got this blood on my skin and on my clothes, right? Blood doesn't come out, does it? Blood spots always have a story, don't they? If somebody is like, oh, what's on your shirt? Well, this one time... One time I was playing Keep Away at the YMCA and I I dove for a ball and I landed on this metal bar and I split my eyebrow open and blood just gushed out of my head and it got all over my shirt. It it always has a story. Can you imagine this blood? If if you read further on, one of the miracles of of the Exodus story is that their clothes never wore out. Think about that for a second. Their clothes never wore out. What does that mean? For the whole period that they're wandering out around the wilderness, for the whole period, I, I, I don't know when they got new clothes. I, I don't know. Maybe the promised land, like as they crossed the Jordan, there was a, there was a JCPenney right there, and they're like, oh shoot, this is a promised land, right? <laughs> new clothes. I don't know when they got new clothes, but I guarantee that as they walked through the wilderness, they carried with them the blood of the new covenant that that blood that was on their clothes held a story that when people looked at them and they're like what's all over you well this one time right this one time we made a covenant with the holy perfect living God and I got blood thrown on me and that blood now defines my identity that no longer am I identified by the chains of my bondage and the sin that I was, I was in, entrapped in for so long, but now I am defined by the blood of a new covenant, and by that blood, I am, I, am, I am welcomed into the presence of God. By that blood, I am identified as a child of God. I said yes to God, I submitted my life to God, and now I am covered and I am accepted because of the sacrifice that was made. Isn't that beautiful? I love, I love the last part, and this is where we're going to land the plan. We're not going to get to the end of the chapter, but in verse 9, it says, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. It's, it's saying sapphire that's as clear as the sky. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The people of God, right, the people set apart by God, covered in the blood of the sacrifice of this new covenant, were able to have fellowship with God. You see, this isn't something that was just done lightly. This is, we, I feel like in our culture we have this misunderstanding of who God is. Like, we, we think of God all too often as, like, the man upstairs, right? Or, or we think of him as some benevolent grandparent who spoils his kids even though he knows he shouldn't, right? I remember talking to one guy not too long ago, and he was saying, well, when I get up to heaven, me and the big guy, we're going to have words. It's like, I don't think you are. <laughs> I mean, you read throughout Scripture, you read about what it, what it tells us about the presence of God. In, in verse 17, it says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. I love Isaiah, um, Isaiah chapter six, where, where Isaiah, this priest, he, God shows up to him when he's in the temple and he's, he's going about the, the different priestly duties. God shows up and Isaiah hits the ground and he says, woe is me, right? It's not like, hey God, how's it going, right? Oh God, let's, let's pal around for a little while. No, he hits the ground and he says, woe is me because I, I live among a people of unclean lips and I have unclean lips and I've seen God and I am dead, See, this this doesn't happen, and yet these people they get to eat with God and drink with God. I mean, that's just crazy. And what that represents, it's an end to the ceremony. It's it's God eating with his people, communing with his people, and saying, I am now in this with you. That's that's what that's what meals represented in, in the Old and New Testament. It's it's an acceptance. That's why people had such a hard time with Jesus when he came eating and drinking with sinners and prostitutes, because that just didn't work. The question is, how can that be? How can, how can you eat with these people? And, and I love the fact that the author even, even says he did not lay his hand on the chief men, because even he's saying, yeah, I don't know, like, that idea of, of he did not, he's talking about God. He's saying God did not lay his hand on them. And that's not, that's not saying God didn't bless them. That's not saying God didn't put his arm around them like a buddy. That's saying God did not put his hands on them. <laughs> like, like, you feel those words. Like, God did not put his hands on them. The people of God, set apart by God, covered in the blood of the new covenant, we're able to have fellowship with God. That's the, that's the answer to that question. You see, and that's just like me back in 1998 when I accepted and submitted my heart to the Lord. And me, even now, asking the same question. There are times where, I'm, where I, even now, it's, it's like, <laughs> God, how? We stand in the same place as the Israelites. Asking and wrestling with that question, how could God accept me? We've made promises we can't keep. Right. Our, our hearts are, are at times so fickle where we instead of instead of obeying immediately, we, we try and obey according to our, our own terms. We've broken relationship with our sin, with our disobedience. And even now, even now, there are times where I feel like like my my shame and guilt for who I used to be threatens to overwhelm me at times. Right, and, and yet, this whole picture points us to the truth, to the answer to this question. And it's in Hebrews 10, 19 through 21. It's up on, on the screen. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, not only should we have the heart of the Israelites that would say yes God, no matter what the implications, I will obey. I will align myself with you, whatever, wherever, whenever, God, I am in this with you. But we, guys, I want us to understand that we approach God not because of our goodness, but because we are under the blood of a new covenant. Because we are accepted by God when we, when we submit to him and when, when, when we receive that, we are accepted. I love Paul explains it this way in Ephesians 1 verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And again, in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How can we have relationship with God? It is only by the blood of Jesus. It is only through the new covenant. It is only by us submitting to that and receiving that can we have forgiveness through his blood we can stand before the throne of grace with the chains of our guilt removed and our identity instead of of being as a slave being a child and whenever my mind goes back whenever our mind goes back to trying to, to to act in the way that we used to act we can look at ourselves and say no i am covered that's not me and for those of you who are sitting in here and, and you're not, that's not you, you're saying, well, I, I don't claim any of that. My prayer for you is that you would accept this, that you would say yes to God, that you would no longer be, be counting on your own perfection or your own goodness to get you close to God because it's not going to. The reality is your own goodness will only lead you to hell. And it's only through the blood of Jesus that we can have relationship with God. Right? We're, we're going to take communion now. And as we do, it's such a, I, communion is such a beautiful picture of this truth, of this reality. The, the band is coming up. They're going to they're gonna play for us. And, and as they do, there's, there's stations around the room. There's Gluten Free up in this corner if you need that. But what we're going to do is as we go around the room and, and as we go up to those tables, you're going to take the bread and you're going to break it off a piece. Which, which Jesus says when, when, he's, when he's celebrating Passover with his disciples, he says, this is the, my body which is broken for you. This is representative, representative of that. Take and eat. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to take a piece of that bread and we're going to dip it in the cup. And when Jesus, again, is celebrating Passover with his disciples, he gives them the cup. And he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. See, communion doesn't save us. Right? You taking communion does nothing for you. It's, it's a remembrance of what has already been done. It's a remembrance of the fact that we stand as people, no longer, again, no longer identified by our chains and our sin, but identified by the blood of this new covenant that we can walk fully in the presence of God and say, God, wherever, whenever, whatever, I want to obey you. And even when we do that imperfectly, we can stand before Him forgiven. And accepted because of what communion represents, because Jesus took our place, because he took our sin on himself. And my prayer for you this morning is that we would be a church who walks in the reality of that truth. So I'm going to pray for us. And then as the band plays, whenever you're ready, I encourage you to stand up and go to one of these, these, these stations and take communion. And if you're one of those people that you're saying, yeah, I don't... I don't know where I'm at with God. Let this be a time where you search that out. My prayer is that this would be a time where, where maybe even for the first time you would, say, you would say yes to God and that you would enter into that covenant relationship with him. God, I praise you, and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. God, I praise you for the fact that, that even, even a sinful person like me, that you have given me access to you, that you have pursued me, God. I could do nothing to pursue you. I broke relationship with you. I put other things in your place. And God, there are times where I still do that. God, I am unworthy to come into your presence. And yet, God, you have given me a new identity. You have given me forgiveness of my sins through the blood of Jesus, and I praise you for that. And I pray that we would be a church who walks in that truth and that reality in your name.